Good morning. It's a privilege to be with you this morning. It's a privilege to be part of the Board of Missions. And as I wrote in our last newsletter to those who support us personally, it's like I have a front row seat on things that God is doing around the world. I was really pleased to see the wall of missions out there. This is, that was one of the most complete missionary maps I have seen. You have almost all of the Bible Fellowship missionaries on there. Uh, take time to stop and look at it, to get to know these people. Pictures are there, names are there, the countries they serve in. I say almost all because one of my first acts as Director of Board of Missions was to participate um, in the commissioning of Derek and Anna Hampshire, who are going to a country in the Far East. They're there already. Uh, the Messics were already commissioned to go to Ecuador. And at the, end, at the beginning of next month, we'll be commissioning Dan and Anna Estrada to go to Romania. So almost all, and there may be a few others that are missing there, but it is a really good start. Go take a look at that map. Get to know uh, your envoys around the world. The question is, why missions? Why missions? Why not just content ourselves with where we are, with who we are, be glad that the Lord has called us to salvation, and wait either till he takes us home or till he comes to get us? Why not? Why missions? Well, I think the foundation of missions is in the first two verses of this psalm that we read, the earth is the Lord's. Why missions? Because this world belongs to the Lord and everything in it. He founded it upon the seas, and he established it upon the waters. And missions, in a sense, is a celebration of the fact that the world belongs to God. Everything we see, everything we touch, everything we use every day belongs to him. All the people of the world belong to him, and we are privileged to belong to him in a special way and to know how the people of this world can get in touch with him. Why missions? Because though this world and though humanity has turned from him and made itself miserable, God cares. He cares. I think of the verse in Exodus chapter 2, verse 3, where it speaks of the people of Israel. It says, they groaned in their slavery, and their cry for help went up before God. And that's how the book of Exodus is introduced. The rest of that story is how God came and rescued them. You say, yeah, well, that's the people of God in the Old Testament. Think about it. The whole life of Jesus is a demonstration that God cares about lost and sinful people. He sent his only son into this world that whoever believes in him might be saved. That's why missions, because God cares. Why missions? Because the only way to set things right be it for an individual or be it for a nation, is for people to turn from idols and false ideologies and serve the living and true God. We know that God. We know his gospel. We have in our hands and in our hearts what is necessary to set this world right. Why missions? Because as we read in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 to 20, God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not holding their sins against them, and he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. 
We are Christ's ambassadors or his emissaries or his missionaries. And God is making his appeal through us, saying to the world, be reconciled to God. That's the mission. Calling on people to be reconciled with God. That's God's mission. And we are his missionaries, his envoys. Two of the most recognized passages on missions come from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6 and Isaiah chapter 52. One talks about lips. One talks about feet. And that's why the title of the sermon, The Anatomy of a Missionary Today. The first one talks about lips, dirty lips. And the second one talks about feet, beautiful feet. Now, if it was me, I would have turned those around because usually our lips look better than our feet, don't they? And our feet are dirtier than our lips. But the way Isaiah explains it, it's dirty lips and beautiful feet. We'll start with the unclean lips. Unclean lips, Isaiah chapter 6. And if you're one of those kind of people that likes to take notes, the two parts then are the unclean lips and the beautiful feet, okay? Uh, Just giving you a heads up on that. Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to talk about what Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6. He lived during the reign of the great King Uzziah. Uzziah had reigned for 52 years. Now, we've never had that experience to have somebody who has governed our country for 52 years. But Isaiah lived through that. He had never known another king besides Uzziah. Uzziah had his ups and downs, but generally we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 26 uh, that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He was a good king. He defeated the Arabs and the Philistines, which were the main enemies of Israel in those days. Uh, He made a bunch of foreign nations pay tribute to Israel, so Israel became very prosperous. He built engines of war, and this was interesting to me when I was looking up Uzziah. He designed engines of war, probably the ancestor of what we call the catapult or the trebuchet, and he mounted these on the towers of Jerusalem. And they were so impressed and so famous that people came from as far as Egypt to look at these engines of war. That's who King Uzziah was. So if you look up trebuchet or catapult, you'll find King Uzziah's name. He was a, he was a wise king, a powerful king. His foreign policy was tremendous in terms of making Israel prosper. And then he died. He died. He was a great king who had kept some very bad people at bay. And when he died, no one knew what would happen next. And it was in that frame of mind that we read in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 4, Isaiah's own testimony. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying, and they called to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. In that year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah learned that there was another king. There was another king who was high and lifted up, another king greater than Uzziah. And what Isaiah saw that day in the temple 
is he saw the Lord in a way he had never seen him before. Now, he should not have been surprised. He'd learned the Shema, what they call the Shema, as a young boy. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That was like the Jewish Pledge of Allegiance. And like every other Jewish boy, Jewish man, he had learned that as a, as a child. But it wasn't until that day in the temple, apparently, that that came home to him. In that moment, he realized that the Lord is indeed God. He realized the Lord is God. Uzziah died, but there's another king behind Uzziah and greater than Uzziah. The second thing that, Uzziah, that Isaiah saw that day, he saw himself, but he saw God, but he also saw himself. He saw himself as he had never seen himself before. The Shema, the Pledge of Allegiance, says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And Isaiah realized he didn't love God that way. He did not love God that way. When he saw God face to face that day, he realized that he did not love God that way. His very conversation gave him away. And this is where we come to the unclean lips. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, you give yourself away by what you say. And when Isaiah saw the Lord that day, he realized that the subject of his conversation was not the love of God. He was not preoccupied with the things that God was preoccupied. He did not love the Lord like he should. The things he was ever speak, forever speaking about, the kinds of things he said, betrayed the state of his heart. Verse 4. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Almighty. Isaiah saw himself as he'd never seen himself before. He realized he didn't love the Lord. And he realized at the same time that he lived among a people that did not love the Lord the way they ought to. Woe is me, for I'm undone. This unclean lips image is biblical language. It's a description of a heart that is focused on things other than the interests of God. In the rest of this passage, this passage always seized me as a child. It was often, I heard it often. I grew up as a missionary kid, and I heard a lot of missionary sermons. It often came to Isaiah chapter 6. And I always wondered about this, verse 6. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand. Now, I knew what a live coal was because for some reason, when I was about four years old, I pulled the cigarette lighter out of my dad's car, and I saw it was nice and red, and I licked it. <laughs> Yeah, I knew what this was. You know, this passage really spoke, said something to me. One of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, 
This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. God dealt with his impurity. God dealt with his heart in a way that he could never forget. His lips would never be impure again. He was now concerned about the things that God was concerned about. His conversation changed from that day on. And then he heard this voice, this question from God, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And his answer was, go ahead, I'm used to people talking. There you go. Here am I. Here am I. Send me. When God asked Isaiah that question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah saw a third thing. He saw his responsibility. He saw God like he'd never seen him before. He saw himself like he'd never seen himself before. And he saw his responsibility. He became a man on a mission from that very day. A man on a mission, what's another name for that? A missionary. He became a missionary from that very day. An envoy, if you will. Now, I already mentioned three new envoys that we've prepared that we're sending out. Derek and Anna Hamsher, Matt and Christy Messick, Dan and Anna Estrada, and that's just in the past two months since I've been director of the Board of Missions. Now, they're going to various parts of the world. They're going around the world. They're going far away. They need our help to get there. They need our help. And we are getting together. We are gathering together. We're uniting to help send them there. But not every envoy of the Lord is sent that far away. And this is what I want you to grasp. Not every envoy of the Lord is sent halfway around the world. Every envoy is sent, but they're not sent necessarily halfway around the world. Even though God said to Isaiah, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. It doesn't appear that Isaiah the prophet ever left the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where he lived when God called him, and Jerusalem is where God called him to be his envoy, his messenger, his ambassador, his missionary right in Jerusalem. And he spent the rest of his ministry speaking to kings of Jerusalem and bringing them back to the truth that God had chosen them and that they had a responsibility for God. You see, being a missionary, being an envoy, is not a matter of distance. It's rather a matter of being aware of having been sent by God with a purpose, wherever that might be. When we get up in the morning and go to work, we are going as envoys. When we go to school, we are going as envoys. Whether we're at home and meeting neighbors or even receiving the UPS man who's bringing a package to the door, we are envoys. We are people with a mission. We have received a word, and our heart should be focused on the things of God, and we should care about people that God cares in such a way that everybody that we meet is a person who has come in contact with an envoy of God. Now, as I say, some envoys do get sent around the world, and we need to help them. But whether we go around the world or not, we are people on a mission. We are people who have received a message from God, and it's our responsibility and our privilege 
to share that. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We live in this earth and we know God to whom it all belongs. The Great Commission extends this question that God asked Isaiah. It extends us to every one of us. In John chapter 20, verse 21, we read, Jesus said for a second time, it's interesting, in that paragraph he says twice to his disciples because what he's going to say is troubling. He says twice to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. You know, you read that and you say, wait a minute. I'm supposed to share the gospel with people that know me? Now that's scary. I'm supposed to share the gospel with people that actually know me? I think one of the things that happens is, you know, a person feels like they should be sharing the gospel, they should be leading people to Christ, and they think, if I could go to China and do that, it would be so much easier. If I could go to India and do that, it would be easier. But to think of doing that with the people that know us, that is scary. It's scary. The problem is when you get over to China and India before too long, those people know you too. And it gets scary there. But Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. You know why we get scared, I think? We get scared because we say that people don't care about the gospel. And if we dare to speak about Christ and our relationship to God, they will simply mock us. Well, that may be. That may be. But here we're moving into the second part, the the beautiful feet part of of our study this morning. Beautiful feet. We're scared because we think that people don't care about God like they used to. But the reality, the timeless truth, is that God still cares about them. Whether they care about him or not, God still cares about them. He cares about them. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 13. If you look at that with me. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 13. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between the Jew and Gentile The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We're afraid because we say people have changed. But I'll tell you something that hasn't changed is this truth. That everyone who calls on his name will be saved. Everyone who calls on his name will be saved. Nothing has changed about that. Now God has given us a certain number of tools He's created agents that are, are available to us as we share the gospel. And think about this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, able to reveal the thoughts and the intention of the heart. What has changed about that? The word of God is still powerful. Do you know it? Do you know it? 
I'll tell you what, on one hand, I appreciate. I appreciate in churches when there are pew Bibles and that they give the references by number sometime, by page number, look on page number. That's good for people who don't know the Bible. But dear friend, if you are a child of God, a disciple of Jesus Christ, why should you need a page number in order to find a passage in the Bible? You need to know the Bible. You need to read it. You need to learn it. You need to be able to turn to a passage without hesitation. And you're going to get some practice because we're going to look up Nahum in a little while, okay? Do you know where it is? <laughs> you can start looking for it now. What I'm saying is it's one thing to simplify things for people who do not know the Word of God, don't know their Bibles. But we who are children of God, we who are disciples of Jesus, have in our hands a powerful tool. It's called a sword here. And we need to be familiar with it. So we can start working on that now. Nothing has changed. God has put his word in our hands, and his word is still powerful. Matthew chapter 5 Verse 16 tells us that the lives of Christ's true disciples are a powerful witness. Jesus said to his disciples, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Do you realize how powerful your testimony is? You know, you may not think you're getting anywhere with your neighbors or your colleagues, but somewhere, someday, someone along the line is going to say, You know, there's something different about you. There's something different about you. Or they will find out by accident that you were a disciple of Christ, and they'll say, I knew there was something different. Yes, our testimonies are a powerful tool. They were for Jesus' disciples, for the twelve. They are for us today. We need to be sure that we live in such a way that our lives are a reflection of our relationship with God. John chapter 6, verse 8. The Holy Spirit is still powerful, and he's still in the world. Jesus said when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You know, one of the reasons we're afraid is because we think we're hitting people cold. We're hitting them out of the blue. They've never had a thought about guilt and sin, about a need for reconciliation with God. I tell you, you'd be surprised how many people have asked themselves those questions. And they've never found anyone to give them a straight answer, a clear answer that they can understand. God is at work in this world. We're not going into a desert when we share the gospel. We are going into a world where God has been at work. And his Holy Spirit got there before we did. And we need to dare to be bold, to be brave, to share the gospel that we have received, to talk about what God has done in our lives and how he's helped us out, changed us, and made us new people, given us a new perspective. And we'll be surprised how many people we meet that have been asking themselves the very questions that we have the answers to. The Holy Spirit is still present and he's powerful. So we have God's word, we have our own testimony, we have the Holy Spirit. These things have not changed and this truth is still there. Anyone who calls in the name of the Lord, no matter what their past life was, will be saved. The problem is not that any of these agents or tools have lost their power. The problem is that many of us have forgotten that we are envoys. We are ambassadors. We are missionaries where we are.
Here's a question for us. If we feel like people don't care as much about God as they used to. Chapter 10, we're still in Romans, chapter 10, verse 14. This is the question. Paul asks these Roman Christians, these Christians who probably felt the same kind of hesitation we do, that were as concerned as we were, as we are, about how do I approach people? This is what he says. How can they call? How can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? This is a question. You know, you say people don't care about God. Well, how can they care if they've never heard? You say people won't believe. Well, how can they believe if they've never heard? That's the question that God is asking us. It's the timeless question. And Paul answers, they can't hear unless somebody preaches. And we say, that's a relief, preaching. I'm not a preacher. You know, that's the preacher's job. So I'll bring people to church and let the preacher preach to them. That's not what Paul means. Paul is not talking when he says preaching. He's not talking about what I'm doing this morning. Let me explain that. He, he refers to two passages in the Old Testament. One of them is in Isaiah chapter 52, and the other is in Nahum, Nahum chapter 1. We say preaching is the preacher's job. That's not my job. I could never do that. But Paul tells us exactly what he means. Nahum chapter 1, verse 13. I'm sorry, I can't tell you the page number, but I know it's after Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Nahum. There you go. Okay, Nahum. Chapter 1, verse 15. Look, there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, O Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. It's an echo of Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. Um, in this passage, in, excuse me, I should have read from verse 13. Let me back up there. Verse 13, prophecy against Nineveh. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the carved images and cast idols that, you, that are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. Look, there on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace. Celebrate your festivals, O Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed." In this passage, we read that this prophecy about feet has to do with the oppression of Israel, or of Judah rather, by the Ninevites. In Isaiah 52, um, verse 7, Isaiah 52, verse 7. 
Isaiah picks up that same image, and he's talking about the same circumstance. Here he says, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, and proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And Paul, when he's speaking in Romans chapter 10, he asks this question, how will they hear unless somebody preaches? And then he tells us what he means by referring to these two texts of the Old Testament. He tells us that these are the people with beautiful feet. Now, what happened in the Old Testament? What was the case here? The case was that Judah was being oppressed by the Ninevites. But something happened. Nineveh was defeated in a battle that happened far away, far away. And people that lived there and saw that battle realized what the implications were for Jerusalem. They realized that because Nineveh was defeated, Jerusalem would no longer be oppressed. And everyone who saw that jumped to their feet and began to run home to Jerusalem to bring that news. Everyone wanted to be the first to bring the news. Nineveh has been defeated. It won't be long to see all those soldiers go home. And you will be free. You'll be able to celebrate, celebrate your festivals. You'll be able to return to the worship of the Lord. You are free. Nineveh has been overthrown. And what the prophets say and what, what uh, Paul picks up on is that the feet of people who are willing to carry that good news are beautiful. What skill did that take? What skill does it take to run home and say, good news, good news, I've got good news, let me tell you what happened. What skill does that take? What special training does that take to say what the Lord has done? It takes nothing more than to have heard the news And these people that lived in Nineveh, that saw that battle and saw Nineveh overthrown, these people, they understood what had happened. They heard the news, and they understood its significance. And they cared enough to run home and share it. And these prophets, Isaiah and Nahum, say, those feet are beautiful, people that bring good news. Take heart, Jerusalem, because of a battle that was fought in a far-off land, a battle that you yourself played no role in. Your enemies have been defeated Your affliction is over. And as Isaiah says, your God reigns. And that's what preaching is. Paul says the preacher is the person who is willing to do that, to bring news that God reigns. That's all the preaching is, and that's all that God expects us to do. We have an illustration of that in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 5, verse 18. You know this story. It's a story about a man who was possessed by demons, and Jesus set him free. Jesus set him free, and this man wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, that's not my will for you. It's not my will that you leave your home and come with me. It's my will, rather, that you go back to your home and tell them what I've done for you. That's my will for you. Mark chapter 5, verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat after having healed a man, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. What skill did that take? took no skill at all. But this man was sent home, and the word tell them there is the same word that Paul uses when he says preach. How will they believe unless someone 
tells them. Do you think you could do that? Has the Lord done anything for you? Has he set you free in any way? Has he come to your rescue in any distress? Has he answered your prayers? Has he sent you places that you had no idea why he was sending you, but when you got there you realized God was in this? Does he comfort you and encourage you and bring you hope in times of difficulty? If so, you have a message. Our object in witnessing is not to win arguments, and I think that scares us too. How can I win an argument? I've never been to seminary. But that's not what preaching is. That's not what this is about. This is about sharing the good news of what Jesus did for me. Go home and tell them all that God has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And you know what? You would be surprised at how many people will be moved by your story. Not everybody. There are mockers out there. But God will lead you if he knows you're available. He will lead you to people who can be encouraged and reached by exactly what he has brought you through. I'm thinking of my son this week. He had a terrible, terrible week last week. Terrible week. And he was asking, what is God up to? And then, strange thing, same thing that had happened to him happened to his roommate. And we were talking about that. We said, maybe God was preparing you to bring encouragement to your roommate. Maybe God was taking you through this so that you could be an encouragement to him. And you know, if we're sensitive to what God is doing in our lives, he will give us a message for those around us. If your job as an envoy of Jesus, and you are an envoy, were only to tell people how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you, like he says to this former demoniac here, tell them what I've done for you. Tell them how I've had mercy on you. If that was your job, what would you tell them? What would you tell them? Think about that because that's what God calls on us to do. In the Board of Missions, our job is to find people who are witnesses, who are this kind of missionary, and on whom God has laid a special burden to go to the ends of the earth. And we help them find supporters, sponsors, to get things together so that they can go where God has sent them. But you know who makes the best kind of missionary to send far away is the kind of person who has learned to share his faith and what God has done for him right where he is. And my prayer for the Bible Fellowship Church, for all of our churches, for every member of the Bible Fellowship Church, for everyone who hears the word of God under the auspices of the Bible Fellowship Church, is that we learn to share what the Lord has done for us and how he's had mercy on us. And then that we ask God to send us to whom he will and where he will. Here am I, send me. May God bless you, and may he lead you in this direction. I invite you to join in praying for our envoys that are far away, but I invite you to join in praying for each other, and pray for yourself, too, that God will make you this kind of message. Let's conclude in prayer. We thank you, Lord, that the earth belongs to you, we thank you that you have made yourself known to us as our Master and our Lord and our Savior and the one who has had mercy on us. We pray that what you have done in our own lives will become the message that we can share with those around us. Help us to know your word. 
Help us to draw courage from your word. Help us to be attentive to your words and be ready to share them with those who need to hear from you. Thank you that it's not any more difficult than that. We pray, Lord, that you give us courage. Help us to think of those people in which, uh, with whom we have contact already. Help us to reach out to them. Help us to become your light, your ambassador, your messengers, your envoys to those that you care about and that you wish to save. Thank you for this time we've had together this morning, and we pray that you will send us away with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.